fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. I'm Caitlin. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and talk about bodily autonomy. Normally with my friend Vienno, but they are in Finland right now, so today we're going to be talking about that with Caitlin. Hello. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> Doing as well as you could possibly can in any kind of circumstance. Yep. It's a, it's a wild one out there. For those who may be new, uh, Caitlin, who is our guest today, used to be the co-host of this show until uh, they decided to spend most of their time working on their PhD <laughs> rather, <laughs> rather than being distracted by Ezra Levant. But uh, welcome back, Caitlin. Thanks. I mean, they're just two different kinds of hell, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of parallel in how how much suffering there is listening to Ezra or actually writing the dissertation. Yeah, but at least, like, the writing of the dissertation, uh, like, it's hell, but, like, a, like, you know, you get something out of it, which is, like, supposed to be the educational process, you know? Where, like, Ezra's existence is not worth it, in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, you're the one who created the show and is doing this to yourself, so... Well, arguably, you could say, like, covering Ezra is an educational experience. However, I would rather he still not be around. <laughs> but yes, we, we are going to jump into this week, uh, which obviously, I mean, how could you not know about this? Which was the overturning of Roe v. Wade in the States. Now... That isn't going to be like a huge topic today, but they it happened on Friday of last week and they decided last minute to get a guest on to talk about that. So at the end, closer to the end of this episode, we will address the, uh, I guess, the biggest issue that has happened in the world last week. So we will get to it. But I guess first we got to get through a bunch of conspiracy theory stuff. So <laughs> I hope you're prepared. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. For this week, we are covering uh, the week of June 20th to June 24th. And the very first episode on the Monday is not worth going over in any details. I don't have any clips from it. But the the gist of what Ezra wants to cover is that there was this advisory panel and <laughs> and Ezra describes this advisory panel as Trudeau's censorship commissars. And he says that they're working in secret, which, you know, if they were working in secret, I don't know how he knows about them, <laughs> which <laughs> is usually how this goes. But I guess this is because there was like these bills that had to do with uh, uh, preventing sort of like online hate speech. And they were coming down prior to the, well, they made it to first reading and then Trudeau decided to hold an election. And at this point, I don't know where they're at, but I guess this advisory panel kept advising. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> All, all that this panel said was that 
I guess one of the rules that was a part of the bill that went through first reading, or not rules, but like what was going to be a part of the legislation, had it where it was like the internet companies had to remove hateful content within 24 hours of it being posted to their websites. And the advisory panel just said like, maybe that was too too much of a demand for comp- for online companies. So that was like the primary thing that they advised on. And then the other thing was that uh, it didn't focus enough on like uh, political propaganda. I don't know how I feel about that either, but Ezra, of course, wants to talk about this because he's freaking out that this means that Trudeau is 100% now going to censor conservatives off the internet. <laughs> that's that's how it works, right? Like, I mean, and it's like silly because it's like it's an advisory panel. It's like, of course, he doesn't understand how governments function, right? But like, you appointed all these people to work on a panel. And because like the liberals appointed these people, he has to describe them as handpicked by Trudeau. And because they're handpicked Trudeau, everything that they say, Trudeau is inevitably going to do, right? Do you think if he handpicked or a conservative, that's more probable. If a conservative handpicked the advisory committee, would he have equal as much of a issue with the nature of the advisory committee? I mean, it's interesting because I've never covered him during like a, it's been Trudeau the whole time that we've been covering, like even when we started, right? So I haven't seen how he's dealt with a conservative advisory panel. Now that now that I'm thinking about it, the only sort of like similar case was Jason Kenney's anti-environment panel, where they, they had like a, a a panel that was like making sure that like media wasn't portraying oil companies in a bad light. <laughs> and Ezra, of course, thought that that panel was great, you know. So he's okay if it's like in a specific situation where it favors the rhetorics he likes to push out rather than, yeah. So that's what it's about. I mean, I don't know enough about this panel. Like, I mean, I think, I think his point here stands as ridiculous that like without going into too much of the details, but it's like, I, I even doubt that like Trudeau was just like picking people who were going to be like, we agree with everything that you say. Cause here's the thing is, even them stipulating the 24-hour rule thing is going against what the liberals initially wanted to do with that bill. You know, so it's like, to me, it's like they just seem like arguably liberal-friendly, but like an advisory panel. And it's like, cool. An advisory panel doesn't necessarily make changes. They advise for other groups and individuals to make those changes. So it's not really direct. It's not like these panels have any authority over, over I guess like content or hate speech or which are the concerns that Ezra has, right? So I don't think there's too much. Like if I was in his shoes and that's his major concern, I wouldn't even have bigger big concerns with that. It's like making you know mountains out of mohills because they're just advising. They're not actually making a. <laughs> concrete decision on something 
Yeah, but see, that's that's the thing. You're not thinking in his conspiracy brain, right? Because his conspiracy brain is they were handpicked by Trudeau, so therefore everything that they advise is definitely going to come to pass now. Because they're not going to yeah. say anything that Trudeau disagrees with. <laughs> they were handpicked by him. <laughs> yeah, that's that falls into like this rhetoric that the liberal government is secretly an authoritarian socialist regime. But we don't see it. It's like, you know, this underlying <laughs> regime that's kind of out there that gets um, put into like subsects of conservative um, conservative groups. So, And th- that is going to be the ongoing theme of this episode, but uh, or even like our entire for the rest of the week. And uh, it, I, I can't remember how much this was around before you stopped being the co-host was because like you left brief like it was into the pandemic but it wasn't like that far into the pandemic and i guess like some of the world economic forum stuff was like in the periphery right around when you left but now especially the the last few months pretty much his show has become the world economic forum conspiracy theory (laughs) hour like that's all they can fucking talk about uh which gets us into the interview section which is one of uh, the other thing I should add is since you've left, he's hired about 20 new employees. They're like stacked full of like new people. So they have this new UK correspondent called Lewis Brackpool. And I guess he has him on for like the quote unquote interview segment. The other thing I should say this entire week, the interview segments are all in house other than the, the Friday episode. So uh, which which isn't too dissimilar from <laughs> when you were co-hosting of them, but back then it would just be Kian, Sheila, or Menzi as the guest interview. But uh, yeah, he's just interviewing his own people. But he's interviewing Lewis because Lewis did a tour of the UK where he was just asking British people about their thoughts of the World Economic Forum. <laughs> okay. And so Ezra's interviewing his own employee just to be like, oh, what a great piece you did. <laughs> you you asked those questions so good. <laughs> did they talk about at least the like content of what they concluded from the questions they asked? They played clips, but they were so innocuous. We will we will get to one of them, but it, it has so little to do with like the actual response, like the, the actual like piece that Lewis did. But Ezra does eventually ask him about the working class and like what were what did the working class think about the World Economic Forum, right? Uh, <laughs> and I, I wouldn't say that we got like a clear answer to that, but I guess for the first clip that I will play is basically Ezra trying to talk about how he thinks that the working class is becoming more conservative. In the United States and I think in Canada, I see a new working class receptivity, uh, receptiveness, I don't know what the word is, to challenging the UN and the World Health Organization, the World Economic Forum. I I think the working classes sometimes say, well, you know what? The parties of the left aren't representing me anymore. Mm. They seem to be in league with big pharma, with the oligarchs, uh, big tech, Wall Street. Mm. So I see uh, sort of a Republican working class. I see in Canada, Uh, the prospective conservative leader, Pierre Polyev, really talking to the working class. And I was wondering if that would be the case in the UK. Do people in the UK 
who have lost their jobs, maybe their their factory has been offshored, perhaps. Mm. Do they still think that these globalist organizations like the UN are actually on their side? I mean, to me, it's, when you merge big government and big business, I, I don't think the working class is going to get ahead. And I don't want to sound like a Marxist, but it, it's sort of surprising to me if what you're saying is accurate that working class and union members of the UK love the World Economic Forum and the UN. I, I don't know how that's possibly in their interests. He came so, there was a moment there where he almost came close to realizing what he was, where, what he was getting at. And then he's like, well, I don't want to sound like a Marxist. <laughs> the thing is, that's what I feel with like a lot of conservative conspiracy theories or, or just the general rhetoric that they have as well is they're so fucking close. They're so close, but then so far away, right? Like, like it, they will talk about things about like how there's this inequality and there's this economic um, exploitation that is happening and has gradually gotten worse over the years. And you're like, yes. And, you know, there's there's an issue of billionaires and big, you know, big corporations and even big pharma like they like to throw around. Right. Like, yes. Yes. Right. There is so many issues with this. And then they go, it's because of all the immigrants coming in. That's the reason why this has happened. And, and then it gets down to this whole unhinged rant that becomes extremely xenophobic and bigoted rather than like you know, just digging into that thought a little more deeper, having a little more curiosity rather than judgment over a group of people. But at the same time, I don't blame because I kind of agree with Ezra's point here is like, I do think there's a lot of working class people that get divided when they see like liberal governments who don't do anything for them time and time again. And that does push them more into conservative politics. And I think that a lot of conservative politicians have gone to working class people and said, bring it in. We're going to support you. We're going to look after you. And then the problem is then they become so closed off to that rhetoric. And if they just had a slight little bit more of curiosity and weren't so judgmental and didn't fall into these traps, my God, would we have a class for itself? <laughs> I so Yeah. Even if like, cause I don't know how much of it is it, the liberals failing to do anything necessarily makes people more conservative or makes them reach out to conservatives. I think part of it too is it just causes a lot of people to stop, uh, stop being politically engaged at all to like just drop out, right? Which it in turn then gives conservatives power because those are the people who are most riled up to to then participate. I'm not 100% sure about that either, because then you have like COVID, for instance, where a lot of people were falling behind, they didn't feel supported. And then you have a huge conservative, not necessarily conservative party, but you have a conservative groupings that are kind of reaching out to these people and saying like, ah, it's the vaccines, and it's big pharma, and this is conspiracy. And like, if you don't have the critical thinking skills to kind of say through the, <laughs> the that junk idea um then what ends up happening is it does become seeming like you know i'm the little guy that's being taken advantage i've been forced into these lockdowns i'm forced to like get a vaccine i'm forced to lose my job and i mean we've already been today like talking about uh pseudoscience and i know like a lot of people i went to like high school with are totally into that now and they didn't go off to like post-secondary education or if they did maybe they did like a you know 
registered massage therapy. Nothing that nothing wrong with that doesn't mean that people <laughs> that have like re- registered massage therapy are you know not intelligent. They can be, but they're just not being exposed to the same critical thinking skills. And so then they they do feel this sense of injustice put onto them. And who's coming around with open arms? It's conservatives. Conservatives also, unlike the left, and I have to say this, they don't care if you're not like 100% in line with their rhetoric. Like we have so much infighting and we cannibalize ourselves to the point where we just like, even myself, like when I join these groups, like I don't really feel comfortable. Sometimes I feel like it's about social capital and social status more than it is about like, actually wanting to do something or actually want to be engaged and change things for the better. I'm sorry, but conservatives, yes, they have been fighting, but they don't do it to the extent because their whole like platform is like going against cancel culture and that I don't have to be politically correct. Right. So they'll accept anybody really. And if you feel like there's an injustice and we have to get over this idea, like that, you know, these groups that are more conservative, that are white, that are that are men and stuff, don't have some sort of oppression against them. They do, because everyone who's not a capitalist does to some extent. And the world isn't designed <laughs> to be fair uh, for the majority. It's meant to be advantageous for a very selective group of people. Um, and then you're also hearing on top of it, like, you know, other groups talking about their own oppression. You feel left out maybe because you feel like life's getting harder for you. You know, the left doesn't really seem like a viable option. When liberals are in power, they're not really doing too much. Inflation's going up. Price of living's getting way too much. And then here's, you know, conservative daddies coming to welcome you in to their little club. And their thing is, is to just go, there's this evil cabal of people working in secret to destroy you. Which is, like, the interesting thing is they almost don't offer a solution, though. Like, even, like, what Ezra is saying here, it, it's, like, acknowledging all the things that you've, you're acknowledging here yourself about, like, the problems with uh, the disconnect between liberals and, like, uh, other people and uh, the infighting and being left astray. And then here comes this person with, like, this, like, story about how it all works and who the bad guys are. But then it's, yeah. like, well, well, then what's the solution? Like, how do you... Like, this is the other part of this. Like, if if Ezra was correct, which, like, of course he isn't, but if he was correct, like, what do you do? Okay, so it's like the World Economic Forum controls all of our lives. What do you do about it? Like, <laughs> I guess vote conservative or, or vote, because uh, they're even supposed to be anti-conservative. They want you to vote PPC or something. Well, no, you have a freedom convoy. Yeah. <laughs> True. And, I mean, like, part of that is... Uh, I mean, we might as well bring it up today, but like, uh, you know, there's been word that something might go down on July 1st again. Uh, uh, some of some of the same people involved in the convoy back in February are all whipped up to do it again on in July 1st. Uh, oh, yeah. I saw them really whipped up for women's choices and freedoms over their bodily autonomy. I saw them drive down with their big trucks all the way to <sighs> D.C. And <laughs> no, it's uh, and who knows? Like, because the other thing is, like, I always feel weird about like. At least when it happened in February, I could see it coming because, like, even Rebel, like, really hyped it up. But there really has been nothing about this July 1st thing yet. And so it's like, I, 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 part of me is like, I don't want to, like, overblow it. And then, like, nothing happens and we make them seem bigger than they are or whatever. But, like, I don't know. Still be, I think the people of Ottawa still need to be cautious that, like, we could, there, there is a chance of a repeat, even as small of that chance 
it is, you know? But like, but even like the convoy and stuff, there's like a good significant amount of people. And then what ends up happening is everyone else just writes them off as like crazy people, which is like, that's not true. There's a reason that people feel this way and feel to go do those things. And you have to be empathetic, unfortunately, towards those people because they're also not your enemy. Like, yeah, I don't agree with their actions, but those people <laughs> are in the same boat as you probably are. And they've had the same feelings you probably have. They've just fallen in to a conservative trap because that's what it really is. These groups like Ezra, right? These manipulators, essentially what they do is is they get you trapped into this rhetoric and idea. And then you go down this like alt-right <laughs> um, cycle and you, you just get trapped in these ideas and it gets worse and worse and worse. Like I think we talked to... Um, before about uh what's that cult that's in oh QAnon um <laughs> about how people like lose lose their families to like yeah. QAnon right no I mean, and, it's and happening with the convoy here yeah 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 and that's exactly what's happening and the thing is we have to acknowledge I think that people definitely do feel disenfranchised they do feel a sense of that life is getting harder that they do feel a sense of like exploitation in their everyday life like something's not right uh, life shouldn't be this difficult or like things shouldn't be like this. Um, you know, and, and just, I've, you know, I can talk forever about this, but I have so many conservative people in my family and stuff. And like one of their concerns is that there's no community. They don't feel like a sense of yeah. like, it's not the same as it was back then. And they somehow feel like all of a sudden, like if they have things as it was once back then, which is this, you know, let's make America great again kind of slogans, right? That eventually it's going to create this magical community where things are decently priced and you can just work hard and get a good house and have a good job and have a nice family and build these connections that are just not going to happen. And conservatives are going to tell you it's this evil cabal that's preventing you from getting that, right? So, I mean, that's the big thing right now is like, it is the sense of community that they get in these groups. And like in the demographic makeup of them is like i wish there was like more studies and stuff th to look at that because i know like a lot of people like to employ their own like whatever fits their own sort of narrative to how to like uh you know cal capture who these people are where it's like you know a lot of these people were able to you know take months off their job and travel the country and stuff like this like they're not necessarily uh working class although like there's definitely working class people involved in the movement generally uh, but the what thing you define as working class, though, this is like yeah. a huge issue I have because, like, I <laughs> I hate conversations with people about class just because I find no one has a solid definition about what class is, and there's so many different ways of conceptualizing what working class actually means that people forget that, like, you know, just because you could take a vacation from your job doesn't mean you're like living in the lap of luxury. Well, no, but I mean, like, in some of some of these people were small business owners, which are still like the capital class. But like, obviously, there's even a spectrum when it comes to like the capitalist class, right? So it's like yeah. part the of it petty is bourgeois. Yeah, and so part of this, like, I, I'm just saying that, like, I, I don't know how to like fully capture that or like where these people fall or how how you want to capture it, but it like. The other part of it, too, though, is like in terms of like convincing people or like uh, not convincing them, but like a part of it is like offering them community. Right. But like the issue or not the issue that I have, it's like the issue is like getting to them before they form a community 
with these like conservative people that believe a bunch of nonsense because once they get captured like it like as much as like i agree with you like i'm i'm the type of person too where like i'll continue like my points of contact and try to make sure that they don't fall deeper but it's like once they get captured like it is really hard to get people to come out and uh so the best bet we have is like some sort of like line of defense to prevent them from even getting there, which gets to one of the points that you were making, which is like we need more like left wing communities to to make people feel welcome before they get sucked into those movements. Yeah, no, there's there's several things that I think left left leaning communities absolutely need to do. One is like understand that there's going to be a spectrum of people that are progressive and not everyone's going to be as willing to be as progressive as you are which I have a hard time with so <laughs> like like I'm guilty of the things so I'm going to be criticizing <laughs> so it's so um like it's, it's mainly criticisms that I like draw on my own actions but also actions that I've experienced also understanding that people are not going to come in with like the same amount of knowledge on a topic so they might get things wrong or incorrect or may offend someone at least they have good intention and they're not doing it purposely to like hurt someone. And, you know, you have to kind of take a step back and maybe like chat with them and explain why that is in a way that's not going to infantilize someone or make them feel that I can't be at this in this group anymore kind of thing. I feel like just like to add to that, it's like, I feel like you and I like learned a lot of that through like our union activism and stuff like that, where it's like that person is going to be around a part of your union no matter what you do you know what i mean so it's like we're learning. representing everybody yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. anyway sorry to cut you off no that's totally fine um and just more outreach to people like i don't know like think of it like any club you want to join right people like to be like asked to come join a club right like or like people want to be asked to go out to an outing like i'm going to be honest, I'm not going to go to a protest by myself. I'm just not going to do it. Like, I don't care how much I care about that issue. I'm not going to do it because I'm, you know, a younger single female and I'm not going to stand in a huge crowd of people who are angry by myself. Like, I don't, I just feel like there's going to be a lot of awkward, unwelcoming behavior. But not only that, it's awkward. I don't want to stand there by myself. What am I doing? Just listening to other people with their groups of people cheer and stuff. That's not fun anymore. And like, you have to make it somewhat enticing for people want to come there and have a little bit of entertainment too. Unfortunately, I know it shouldn't be like that, but like, you know, you got to accommodate for everyone's different experiences and wants and needs because you're, you're dealing with a huge gamut of different kinds of people. Well, some of that comes with the, the social nature of it and like, yeah, having, having community, having, friend groups and social communities that are involved in this is like what we need. Uh, uh, yeah. And it's, I mean, that, that especially broke down over COVID and like how we get that back. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a, a challenging struggle. Anyways, love this conversation. And uh, yeah, I know. we're not going to solve the left tonight, but do, do you want to hear about Ezra's beard? <laughs> sure. Tony Elias says the beard looks good on you, Ezra. I was talking to my mom last night and she says it makes me look old. I said, mom, that's sort of the point. I, I'm, I am sort of old and I thought maybe that would make me look wiser than I am. But no, she sort of votes for me to shave it off. And she was fairly clear on that. Um, the missus, on the other hand, is mildly positive. But thank you for the feedback. I just, I realized why I never grew a beard earlier in my life. I just don't have the manpower 
you know, anyway, I'm talking too much about myself. I, I think I'm probably going to shave it all off in a little while. You know what? I think Ezra is becoming Marks. He's, you know, shooting <laughs> up these Marxist ideas, growing up the beard, aging a little bit. He's. It's not a good beard, though. It looks like Ted Cruz. <laughs> oh, well. But I, the one thing that struck me about that segment, for one, I don't understand what he means by manpower. He doesn't have the manpower to have a beard. And I was like, is he talking about, like, maintaining it? Like, he doesn't have the energy to, like, trim or, like... To be like, maybe he's not growing a full enough beard and he's, like, associating that with manliness. Like, he needs more tea to, like, (laughs) thicker. Like, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) But then it was, like, his wife is, like, thumbs up on the beard, but his mom is thumbs down, so he's going to get rid of the beard. His preference, whatever you want to do with your body, Ezra, it's okay. Yeah, his I'm body, shaking. his choice. Yeah, yeah, we're not gonna shake. Listen, we're you're not gonna, gonna feel this way beard. about him. <laughs> we get to the end of this episode, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, sure, do whatever you want, Ezra. It's just that that's like that's the first time his mom's come up. I didn't even know his mom would still be alive, but apparently, uh, he he's a, he sounds like a mama's boy now. <laughs> just gonna put it out there sounds like a big old mama's boy you'll be happy to note that like on june 21st uh david menzies was guest hosting and the happy part is i don't have a clip to play for you so you don't have to listen (laughs) to his big buffoonish voice but his entire first half of the episode is i guess he found this person on tiktok and the person was an HR representative for, I think, a firm based out of Ottawa or something like this. And the TikTok was her being like, we know you participated in the convoy. And if we find out, we're going to make sure you get terminated or something like this, right? I, like, I don't care about the particulars. I don't even know if she has this kind of power. I, like, know nothing. The, the thing that I want to respond to is Menzies does this entire piece and then spends the rest of the episode trying to dox her, like, track down where she works where she lives, get information out of her, all this stuff. And it's like, it just recently, like, they, Rebel, as well as the rest of the conservative media, lost their shit when Taylor Lorenz, who's a reporter for the Washington Post, did a story about the libs of TikTok. And she basically hunted down this account, found out who used it, and, like, talked about who the person was behind the account didn't dox her or anything like didn't give like her address or anything like this and all of conservative media including rebel news like lost their minds about this meanwhile this other person just does one and for what it's worth i don't know if you're familiar with libs of tiktok but no libs of tiktok their entire thing was just finding like teachers who did like pro lgbtq content in context of like a classroom setting being like, here's what I teach my like grade 11 students about LGBT stuff. And they would take that and accuse these people of being like sexual predators and groomers and stuff like this. So it's like, yeah, I want to know who's behind that account, (laughs) you know? But of course for for what Menzies is doing, this person just did one TikTok, looking slightly unhinged, talking about like firing people who 
took part in the, the convoy. And he was willing to go through all the effort to, like, track down this person and basically send people to harass her. Like, it's, it's a little fucked up and a little over the top. I don't know why people exert so much energy into that. Like, what is that going to do? You're just hurting one individual. Like, it's not going to, like, support whatever cause you want to get through. I mean, it gets to the community aspect and the loyalty thing. She hurt the truckers. She hurt our precious truckers. I, I guess <laughs> and we, so. <laughs> and we need to defend them at all costs, including ruining this person's life. All for one shitty... T- like, I don't even think what she did was that shitty. Like, I, I'm like, really? All right, you sound very liberal. Okay. But, like, ruining their... Like, sending people to harass her? A little terrible. Yeah. In relation to what she did, I don't think it's a, a decent thing to do. I should also mention, Taylor Lorenz recently did uh, an article in the Washington Post on a friend of ours named uh, Keffels as they go by on Twitch. So uh, shout out to Keffels. <laughs> Me and uh, Caitlin have done a lot of uh, local activism with them, so it's kind of funny to see them being published in the Washington Post. <laughs> but congrats. And with that, uh, we get to the interview segment. And it's with another, again, all the interviews this week are all in-house. So this, this is the new Kian. So they got a new Kian. They call him K2. Okay. <laughs> Okay. And, and uh, he made a documentary recently about the Coots blockade. Now, okay. do you remember what, so you, you know about all the, like the trucker convoy or whatever. Do you remember what happened in Alberta? Mm, no. So there was I only a, know what happened in Ottawa. <laughs> so what happened in Alberta is in some ways more terrifying. There was a blockade in a little town called Coots, which sits right on the border uh, between Alberta and the United States. And at one point during this blockade, uh, like the truckers were blockading, there were these mass arrests and a stockpile full of ammunition and guns and flak jackets were found. And on the flak jackets were symbols that were associated with a group called Diagalon. And uh, it's worth noting that Jeremy McKenzie, who's the the guy who like founded Diagalon. He's part of the people who are planning to do something on July 1st as well. And uh, some of the people who were arrested, at least four of them, were arrested for conspiring to murder police officers. And uh, <laughs> it's surprising to me that that doesn't get talked about a lot in our media, even though that happened. And it's also worth noting that during the Coots blockade, Rebel News had people, had reporters like K2 embedded with the people at the blockade and crowdfunded a lawyer that represented the people at Coots to negotiate with the RCMP during the blockade. And then after these arrests, their lawyer, Chad Williamson, is still defending these people who were conspiring to murder police officers, okay? He's not representing all of them, and I don't know if things have, like, changed, but he at least was representing them at some point. So, this is kind of fucked up that Rebel News was involved in this, and almost no one talks about this. Uh, so, and for what it's worth, Diagalon, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they are a white nationalist organization that is of course. very terrifying. Like, they believe uh, in starting race wars and whatnot. So, uh, 
Now. Shocker. Like, it's just <laughs> how many are there? How many groups are like that? Like, Yeah. No, none of this is surprising, but it's just, it, to me, the terrifying part is that no one talks about this. So, of course, so they made this documentary. And of, I would love to see it someday. Hopefully they post it on YouTube, but they haven't done it yet. They keep on doing these, like, private screenings. But Menzies has K2 on to, like, have an interview, a chat about what they had, uh, what was in the documentary and, like, all the fun things that are in it. And during the whole thing, they mention, they have these allegations. They claim the RCMP claims an RCMP member was assaulted, but they lied about it. There's also this accusation that the RCMP destroyed a bunch of tractor equipment. I don't know the... Sure. I mean, like, uh, Rebel News is the only one really talking about that. Then they really wanted to stress that these truckers are just regular, normal people. And they also want to state that they were peaceful. And then Menzies chimes in saying there was bouncy castles in Ottawa, even though that had nothing to do with the Coots blockade. And of course, when all is said and done, at no point did they mention the stockpile of guns, the Diagalon group, and all the arrests that happened? <laughs> so uh, they're just going to keep plowing. I thought, I thought at the very least they would just drop this and let it go. But it's amazing to me that we're months out from this happening, and they keep talking about it, but then just ignore all the like stockpiles of weapons and stuff. <laughs> uh, I don't know how, like how. I mean, and part of that is, like, they get to get away with it because the media isn't covering it. But, like, at what point, like, if these charges actually, like, if they actually get convicted of the crime, do they still deny it then? Like, at what, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I'll just say that it's unjust. They try to distance themselves from at least overt white nationalists, and so it's like, you know, I mean, you missed it. They had a whole thing where David Menzies challenged Chris Skye on his Holocaust denial. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, so, like, they have their moments where, like, things get too spicy and they have to say something. And it's like, okay, so your reporters were embedded with a bunch of white nationalists that, like, conspired to murder police officers. And you're just not going to talk about that? And, in fact, you then hire a lawyer to help them? <laughs> like, isn't that fucked up? Like, I think it's fucked up. Yeah, but then they also had, like, Keith Goldie on their show for so long. And they didn't really say anything, even though she was outwardly anti-Semitic. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, you know, they, like, I eventually did get to a point where they did fire her, but that took a bit. She did quite a lot <laughs> before, yeah. before they did anything about it, so... I mean, honestly, I think it took her going on a Nazi podcast and then making fun of her boss for being Jewish. I think that was, that was the, <laughs> the final straw. But yeah, I, yeah, I guess what I'm saying is I'm just waiting for like, what is going to be the tipping point in this case? You know what I mean? Because <laughs> it's like, I have a feeling these people are going to get convicted. I find the, the overt white nationalists are usually like very bad at covering their tracks. You know, if if. You know, if the RCMP is going to arrest them for conspiring to murder them, I'm pretty sure they have some evidence of, like, chat logs or some shit, you know? But we'll see when the, the case starts happening, you know? So now we get to uh, June 22nd, and again, the first half is just... 
this was like a random week to be on because the first half was just so stupid. I guess there was an, uh, a reform MP, you know, the reform party from back in the day. The guy's name is Monty Sol- Solberg. And I guess he continued on with the Canadian Alliance and then the, the Conservative Party of Canada. And he's somebody that Ezra knew back when Ezra was a part of the Reform Party. I guess okay. he's now in a lobbying group with Gerald Butts. And Ezra just feels like a deep sense of betrayal that this Monty guy is now working with Gerald Butts, who is like Trudeau's best friend and was like responsible for some of the SNC Lavalin stuff. And so. Ezra's whole opening monologue is about how he's so angry at his old friend, Monty. (laughs) And I don't care. (laughs) It's like, stay mad. (laughs) Yeah. Quite interesting. So again, we get to the interview. And this is another new employee. This is like a really new employee. So this would not just be new for you, Caitlin, uh, for not uh, being on the show for a while. This is a relatively, I think he's only been hired for like the past month. And he's this guy named Juan Mendoza. And they specifically hired him, okay, to cover the Mexican-American border to make sure that those illegals are like not doing illegal stuff. I don't know. That's, that's pretty much watch the, the, the border is pretty much this dude's job. Did they hire someone purposely? Who had like a Latin American name so that he could say racist things about Latin Americans without them having to take the blame. You know, you can never say anything definitively on this show, but Caitlin, <laughs> if you wanted my probably opinion, <laughs> probably. It just seems a little odd, you know, that they hired someone. <laughs> with that name yeah, to cover that specific issue. No, and like uh, all the stories he's done so far has either been about the border or about transphobic shit. So the, the guy sucks regardless. Uh, and like, yeah, I mean, and most of the stuff that they talk about just isn't true. We, we covered one of them already, which was about this uh, stories having to do with, uh, I'll just say it, rape trees. Uh, and a lot of the the stuff around that was bullshit. You can go back a few episodes if you if anyone wanted to know more about that. But on this one, they're primarily just talking about like who's coming over or like the the number of people coming over the border. And Ezra really wanted to like focus on the fact that it's not just Mexicans that are coming across the border, but it's also Russian and Chinese nationals that are coming across the border. And the thing that struck me about this is, like, the numbers here are still, like, really small uh, in terms of Russian uh, and Chinese nationals coming across the border. But it largely has to do with the visa system in America. So most of the people who are of Chinese uh, nationality coming across the border were leaving due to issues having to do with Hong Kong and were, like, trying to seek asylum in the U.S. But they couldn't do that with a direct flight to seek asylum. They had to, like, go out and then back in. And it was the same thing with the Russians who the reason why there's a slight in uptick in Russians coming across the border is because of obviously what's happening in Russia right now with uh, 
all the businesses leaving, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, I mean, indirectly having to do with Ukraine in that, like, they're not Ukrainian, so they're not under bombardment. But I guess they're worried about the sanctions and everything that's coming down on yeah. Russia. Uh, and so they're trying to seek asylum in the U.S., either because they have family there or, or for whatever reason, right? But it's like, I guess, like, the reason why they want to highlight it is to be like, the border, like, everyone can just crawl across this border, right? Just like, all these people from everywhere are coming across. And it's like, no, like... You know what? They would fly in normally and seek asylum if if America didn't have shitty immigration policies. You know, the only reason they're going to Mexico and coming up is because they're forced to, given how shitty your immigration policies are. I just think it's like the fact that he's just trying to highlight that there's other groups of people rather than, you know, rather than Mexican migrants coming through is just for him to cover up the fact that he has these extremely xenophobic <laughs> views. <laughs> And which he, you know, like, he wants to talk about this issue, but if he throws in that, it's like other people coming and, you know, they're all coming in and it's just too much kind of thing, right? Like, it can kind of cover up some of this um, blatant racism that he does here and there. Yeah, I mean, that's part of it. But I think also it's like he does, I think he's definitely racist against the Chinese. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think we could say that. So, like, there's part of that as well. Uh, the Russia stuff is... I mean, he's he he still thinks that Putin's a communist or whatever, like that kind of stuff. But like, uh, and like, surprisingly, one thing that you might not be aware of is he he seems to be like he's not in favor of Russia invading Ukraine, which actually oh, surprised good. me. <laughs> but but <laughs> he's not in favor of helping Ukraine in any capacity. So he's he's taking a weird stance. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and in any capacity, I mean, including taking on refugees and like other stuff, like I realize there is issues with the liberal government just like pumping a bunch of weapons into Ukraine and stuff like this. Like, I might also agree that that's probably not the greatest thing to do, but uh, Ezra doesn't seem to want to help them in any capacity, <laughs> let alone arming them. So, but the one thing to talk about with the the border. Uh, stuff is Ezra does speculate at some point about why Trudeau and Biden love illegal immigration so much. And of course, I'm saying illegal immigration because that's what they call it. But obviously, this is just uh, undocumented migration. And of course, so they're going to discuss why why Trudeau and why Biden love it so much. But then also they're going to pivot to the uh, Trump wall. We know the Biden administration loves this the same way the Trudeau administration loves it in Canada. I think they they like the destabilization. They believe that these are future Democrat voters. But what about some of the border governors who at least talk a little tougher? I'm not sure what it's like in Arizona, but in Texas, their governor claims to be a little tougher on these things. Is there anything that the state governments can do? Like, for example, to, to ask a really dumb question, why doesn't someone just finish building that fence behind you. I mean, if you tilt your camera a little bit, you showed me earlier, it, it really is just a gap. Like it's not like, yeah, keep spinning that way. Let's show us what's behind your shirt. Yeah. Like it, like that's not even a hundred feet. Um, I'm not saying that would solve the problem, but it, it would make a dent in it. Like why, why isn't that fence finished? He always asks these like compounded questions. Like what, which one of those questions? <laughs> should... <laughs> 
after you got your new employee to like spin the camera around and get get the proper angle that you want on the gap in the fence say you say you fill that gap like this is a, this is such the stupid thing about the walls like you fill that gap what they'll just go to the next gap and like come in so what you got to do all the gaps and then they'll get ladders like i don't <laughs> i don't know why they are in that mindset that if you just keep building the wall it'll magically stop happening couldn't tell yeah the the other thing did you notice like what it so it was trudeau and biden they like how it destabilizes things to have like migrants come across and part of me is like for one i don't buy the premise that the migrants are going to destabilize anything but two would like why would like so trudeau and biden are just sitting there like with their fingers like <laughs> These people will destabilize things. Like, why would they want that? I don't... I want to know what that conspiracy theory is. <laughs> I think it's going to connect with what we're going to talk about later, which is the World Economic Forum conspiracy. But it, I think it falls back into these ideas of, like, that there's, like, a secret cabal of elitists out there that are planning on making people's lives purposely harder by destroying the economy and destroying capitalism and their secret socialists that want to take over and Trudeau's the love child of Fidel Castro and like, you know, it goes on and on and on. Yeah, I guess so like the destabilization is to make people more amenable to like socialism or something? Like, I, I don't know. To destabilize the economy. To starve people because that's what communism is. I guess, like, Mendoza's answer to the, the whole Trump wall thing was just, like, that it's not being built because uh, Biden wants open borders. And so I just want to add there that Biden has barely done anything to uh, return to the norm before Trump was in office. And not saying that returning would have been good because, like, it sucked under Obama as well. But the fact that Biden is dragging his feet and doing anything on immigration and 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 the likely reason they're doing that is because they're afraid of like agitating this xenophobic base of the Republican Party. So they're doing nothing. Yet even when they're doing nothing, they're still calling him an open borders president and still saying that like he wants to bring all these illegals in to destabilize the country so it's like fuck you democrats is what i'm saying like fucking do something like what <laughs> at least like that is something that biden can directly do too like it's it's something that has to do with the executive office and not something that he has to like rely on joe manchin to fix you know like but are you surprised like i just don't no democrats being stupid is pretty much <laughs> But it's the same here with liberals, right? Like people think that things are more progressive under liberals and like, yeah, there's some things that like work and like some things that are a little bit better, but they're majorly not doing anything. Like when Justin Trudeau got in, he didn't reverse half of the policies that Stephen Harper, well, I guess destroyed. He didn't put really much into place. He just destroyed yeah. a bunch of things, right? Like even the childcare, right? Like childcare is finally being built up after years of Harper deregulating childcare and splitting it up to the provinces. Yeah. And everyone thinks, you know, Justin Trudeau, yeah, 
you know, legalized weed. Awesome. Right. Like, <laughs> but he didn't do anything to actually make um, people's lives significantly better. And I mean, that's very similar to the Democrats. Like it, it's yep. this, this face of progressiveness, right? It's super frustrating is all I'm saying. <laughs> of course it's super frustrating. Yeah. It's absolutely frustrating, but it's like, you know, Jody, you gotta, you gotta give and take. You got to take away people's rights here and then maybe give another person some rights, like just a tad bit of rights. Moving on to more. Well, actually, June 23rd is less depressing because they really. Well, I mean, it's depressing, but like it's not worth talking about. Sheila Gunn Reed was a guest host. So I guess Ezra was off doing stuff this week. He's been taking a lot of time off uh, and I'm not sure why that is. But her segment is not worth covering. It was basically like her going, aren't pipelines great? And that was like, <laughs> that's the whole segment. It's like, yeah, I don't really care. And she also says that she's hopeful that inflation will cause people to see how bad green energy programs are, even though I don't understand how these th- two things relate. But there you have it. Thank you, Sheila Gunn-Reed, for your input. <laughs> she then interviews another new employee for you, someone named Alexa Lavoie, who I guess did a segment where she there was this like this media organization called Lux Media in Quebec that did like a a puppeteering thing that was based on a CBC program that also used a puppeteering thing and so CBC was trying to get them to remove the video from YouTube and then Alexa defended them somewhat and then CBC backed down or something and like I'm like cool <laughs> And so none of that is worth talking about. I, I tried to look into it to see if there was like an interesting angle to cover about this thing. And it just sounds like the CBC didn't want them to use the puppets. And I agree, unless there's some angle to this where they're like bigoted pieces of shit. Like, I don't care. Like, use use the uh, the CBC stuff and, and have fun. Like, I, I don't care. Like, doing parodies. Like, I for what? This is like the one thing where I would agree with the rebel on this, which is like, the CBC should just let let people do parodies. Like, they shouldn't be going after that. Like, I don't know. It seems like a pretty obvious win, you know? And, of course, that just makes Rebel looks good, look good for, like, taking on, like, one legitimate cause out of the, uh, the entire world. But the fact that they took it on, of course, like, made me suspicious. I was like, are these people bigoted? Like, <laughs> so, so confused. But uh, I could find no angle on this, so we'll just, uh, we'll move on. To the 24th, where we are now going to dive into uh, your favorite topic, which is the World Economic Forum. <laughs> Woo! So last week, we covered a segment about a conspiracy theory survey that was done by Abacus. And Ezra went over it. And most of the time when he went over this survey, he would talk about how uh, the World Economic Forum is a secretive organization, okay? And so he said that a bunch of times, that they're a secret society, they're very secretive. However, like, come this episode, he's changed his tack, and now they're not secretive at all because you can find out all the information on them by just going to their website. Yeah, so you can't really call it a conspiracy theory because it is indeed a conspiracy. They are conspiring to do it, but it's out in public, so it's more of a conspiracy fact. 
one of the conspirators just happens to be Christia Freeland, George Soros's former biographer, now our deputy prime minister, who bizarrely sits on the World Economic Forum's Board of Governors. How's that even allowed? Like I say, it's not really a conspiracy theory when they publish it on their website, but if you disagree with it, it suddenly becomes a conspiracy theory. The World Economic Forum is the organization. The Great Reset is their plan. One thing that I haven't covered that much is Ezra constantly brings up the fact that Christian Freeland is a part of the World Economic Forum in some capacity. And the only reason I don't bring that up is because like all he says every time he like he brings it up and then has to make some sort of like claim about like double loyalty. Like there's it, it she can't actually be on this board that somehow this is illegal or not right. Because it's like, how can you both be a member of this like globalist organization while also representing Canada? Because like you can't represent both at the same time because they're globalist, they're not Canada or like whatever. Where I'm like, I, like I don't know. It seems pretty straightforward to me. Like there's many, like you could make the same argument about the UN, really. <laughs> don't they send like representative representatives to? This is my point. Like every country has a set of representatives that sit on this form. It's not. Yeah, I somewhat, but not like, every country. Yeah. But like, there is participation of politicians within this. So I just don't wonder if that's a role that's appropriate for a politician to take. I just. Well, I mean, the difference is, is that the World Economic Forum are trying to insert things into your skin and control you. <laughs> Oh, thanks Have for that clarification. <laughs> now that I know. <laughs> this is, so this is the other thing that I just, it's, it's a common thing. It's happened like this is the third week in a row now where Ezra has hit on the fact of like, it's still a conspiracy. It just happens to be public and we all know about it. Which, and then he calls it a conspiracy fact. He calls that like those things conspiracy facts. But I'm like, wouldn't they just be facts? Because it's it's still not a conspiracy. A conspiracy requires a secret gathering of some sort. Like, if you just do everything out in the open, you're just planning. And planning is not a conspiracy. How dare they be transparent. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't get it. Like, he keeps he keeps doing this, and it seems so silly to me. It's like, they're just planning. You may not like their plans. That's a different discussion. They they could be bad plans. It's just, you know, a conspiracy, part of the definition of a conspiracy requires secrecy. And if it's all out in the open, it's not a conspiracy. But then you'll like this one. Ezra's trying to describe what the Great Reset is. And uh, he, he somehow thinks it's both crony capitalism and socialist. Klaus Schwab published a book called The Great Reset. They have a whole section about The Great Reset on their website. Uh, let me read a little bit from it. They say, the pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world. Professor Klaus Schwab, founder and executive chairman, World Economic Forum. Follow insights on how we can recover from COVID-19 to build a healthier, more equitable, and more prosperous future. So there it is, The Great Reset, using COVID as the excuse to rebuild and reshape the world. And when they say healthier, of course, they mean vaccine mandates. When they say 
more equitable, of course, they mean socialism, but a weird kind of crony socialism, really not much different from crony capitalism, where oligarchs like Bill Gates and other World Economic Forum tycoon are in charge. I mean, so much to unpack, Jody. <laughs> you know, it's 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 a it's a crony socialism capitalism because they got like it's Bill like, Gates. <laughs> no, he's saying it's crony socialism, just like how crony capitalism happened, where you had Bill Gates who like had too much power. That's what he's saying. Like he's saying that it's socialism. But with corrupted powers, like how we have capitalism with corrupted powers, like people of Bill Gates who like have too much say in how our world is. But he thinks Bill Gates is a part of the World Economic Forum stuff, which wouldn't that make him also a part of the socialism stuff that's doing? <laughs> I don't know what it means. What is what is a crony crony socialism? Like what is that? I don't know. <laughs> Do they? <Yeah>. Know? <laughs> First time I've ever heard him use the words crony socialism before. And I felt like I honestly, this is my guess, okay? I feel like he meant to say crony capitalist or something like that, but realized he couldn't and then moved to crony socialist and then realized, what does this even mean? And then just, say, <laughs> like, how do I recover? It was, you know, it's like a crony this, a crony that. You got Bill Gates. Remember Bill Gates, the bad guy? I'm getting ready to call Israel comrade soon because he's trying to hide his secret socialist tendencies, but they're there. They're there. He just has to like quickly twist it to make it not. I just like, like obviously not. <laughs> his his so his idea of what socialism is is Bill Gates wanting to microchip you. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I did love that. I just want to figure out what like a crony socialist system would look like. It, I, you know what? We we should write him. He does a mailbag segment at the end of each episode. So what we should do is people who are listening, anonymous accounts, don't don't just create a new email, do whatever you want, but then just send in the letter. What is crony socialism? <laughs> and see if he answers it. I'd be curious. I want to know. I want to know from his perspective, because like I could kind of like theorize some ideas of what that could possibly look like through his vantage point, but I'd need to hear him define it to make yeah. sure we're on the same page. Because <laughs> at least his attempt right now to somehow just point to Bill Gates was not helpful. Uh, but Oh no, there was a lot of confusing information. <laughs> <laughs> The thing is, though, too, is like these things that he's complaining about with Bill Gates and COVID, these are all under happening under capitalism. Like the like, economic, like he's even admitting, like this is the outcome they want, meaning we haven't achieved it. But all these people are doing something under this current economic system, which is capitalism. So then his argument contradicts because the things he's nervous and scared about exist under the provisions and structure of capitalism. And that's what I just don't understand. No, the whole thing, I mean, the, when you said contradictory, like the whole thing is contradictory, but, but, he's, <laughs> yeah, of course, but his but... position is that, that corporations have been taken over by woke socialists. That ah, like okay, all the okay. corporations are like pro-LGBTQ and all and pro-trans and all that because they've been sort of like taken over. But of course it's like, they haven't taken over all corporations because there's still a few corporations and people that he likes. So like Elon Musk, he's cool. B 
Bill Gates, he's like an evil woke trying to poison your kids, right? Like the the dynamic is just like who's on our side right now. Like other beyond that, it has no meaning. I've heard this even from like my mom because she talks a lot about Bill Gates, some TED talk all the time, and how he like knew about COVID in advance, so therefore he must have manufactured it. <laughs> That's what I heard. So I feel like when any time COVID comes up in conspiracy theories, Bill Gates is just automatically always involved. I guess we're going to get microchipped with Microsoft <laughs> technology. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, we'll we'll come back to the microchips in a second because Ezra wants okay. to talk about that uh, again today. So, uh, but first, I should say, why are we talking about... So for for the people who listen weekly, for the past two or three weeks... All we've been talking about is the World Economic Forum stuff. And so it's like, again, why is he, br- why is he bringing it up for another week uh, of just repeating some of the same talking points? But he has something new to say. And so what this is, is they got a, a document from the government through a Freedom of Information request. Okay, And I guess where I'm standing right now is I don't actually want to tell you what the document is. First, I want to play the clip. And then you tell me when we're done what you th- what you think based on what Ezra how Ezra describes it what you think this document really is, okay? Okay, okay, we'll try. It's an access to information document, thirty four pages long, of briefing notes prepared for the prime minister, prepared for Justin Trudeau, all about the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset. So this isn't some internet gossip, and it's not even. Klaus Schwab just bragging about his claimed penetration into the Canadian government. I mean, theoretically, that could just be BS by Klaus Schwab, just some guy trying to pretend he's more powerful than he really is. No, this is what's actually going on inside our government. This is the department preparing briefing notes for cabinet ministers, in this case, Justin Trudeau, telling him what the plan is telling him information, telling him things he should say, telling him what his role is in the World Economic Forum strategy. Let me say that again. These are internal Canadian government documents prepared by the Canadian Civil Service for Trudeau and his staff, telling them about the World Economic Forum's Great Reset, outlining what Canada is supposed to do, and facilitating that, making it happen, making meetings happen, making statements happen, making commitments happen, spending money. Or as Klaus Schwab would say, they're penetrating us. So I will, <laughs> I will add with the penetrating thing, because that might be confusing, not just to you, but to some listeners, which is there, he has this clip of Klaus Schwab talking about how uh, he, he penetrated, like, I, I can't remember how he even words it. Like, it's so benign. He just basically says that, like, a bunch of, like, people who were, like, a part of, like, the youth portion of the World Economic Forum are now a part of the Canadian government. And in his, like, uh, German speak, he used the word penetrate. And so, like, Ezra now just, like, riffs on this as, like, he he makes it, like, overtly sinister and, like, sexual sounding. But I, like, I'm telling you, like, the way Klaus Schwab said it, it was, like, not sinister in any like wait you know uh but but yeah so that's that's why that's happening but okay you heard you heard what ezra said what do you think this document is (laughs) honestly i don't really have a good idea that almost sounds like it's like communications with almost like an admin person setting up meetings for him and things like that or like discussing like what is going to happen in a meeting 
So, like, you're, you're close. I mean, the thing is, like, I'm, I'm curious, too, is, like, I, I was trying, because, like, this is a real document. So, like, and Ezra is releasing it to his audience. So you can find the document on his website. I like, mating minutes? Like, what is this? So I got the impression from him that they were supposed to, they were, like, directives. Or it was, like, the way he sort of describes it sounds like it's the World Economic Forum telling Trudeau what to do through the civil service somehow, okay? All it is, is there was this event that was happening. It was supposed to be a dialogue about COVID and the future of the pandemic. It was earlier on in the pandemic. And it was like world leaders were coming to talk at the World Economic Forum. And there was a set like list of questions that each leader was going to be asked, okay? As they participated in this forum, and his staff, his writers, right, the people who worked for Trudeau to write his speeches, were giving him the prepared notes of what they wanted Trudeau to answer, but of course, they're working with Trudeau in coming up with the answers, because they're not just, it's not like the writing staff of Trudeau dictates to Trudeau what to do, right? So this was just like working with Trudeau to come up with what they think were the best answers to these questions, right? But Ezra frames this as if, like, these are, like, the world economic telling Trudeau what to think. Because Trudeau's a puppet in all of this. Yeah. (laughs) So he describes them as briefing notes, but it's like, no, this is Trudeau's script writers, like, helping to write. That's what I was thinking, like, it's like a staff member of some sort, like, like, assisting him with, like, meeting setups or something like that, or, like giving him like this is what we're going to talk about kind of thing in in this in this discussion that's what it reminds me of like communications back and forth with like a staff member that's why i said like an admin assistant setting something up but yeah, yeah that makes sense <laughs> yep but that's the that's the big that's the big git <laughs> they cracked the code <laughs> you know the way he talks about the world economic forum makes me sound makes me feel like the reptilian conspiracy that all yeah all uh government officials are secretly reptilians from outer space yeah like um, it has that kind of tone (laughs) to it right i mean this this is so last episode when we had our guest tim filling in for vienna we talked about this character named yuval noah harari and so this is where it's like i don't even think it's like lizard people although the lizard people is related to this conspiracy it reminds me of like the protocols of the elders of zion the like sort of jewish conspiracy that eventually inspired the nazis now i don't think like ezra is going that far like or like is like plotting it out and like actually utilizing this or thinking about it too far ahead but he so yuval noah harari is a gay jewish person okay And Ezra has singled him out as being the one who basically is the, like, I think in the clip I'm about to play, he calls Yuval Noah Harari the deputy of, like, the World Economic Forum, okay? Yuval Noah Harari has spoken at the World Economic uh, Forum twice. That's all he's done. He's not, like, a part of it. He's just an academic from Israel who has spoken at the World Economic Forum twice, okay? Now... His all his knowledge. We talked about this like in the preceding weeks. All his knowledge about Yuval is this idea that, uh, 
I guess he he Ezra goes online and find, finds a bunch of conspiracy videos, and the conspiracy videos take snippets of Yuval's talks that he's done, and they make him sound like he's plotting to do all these evil things. Now, what we talked about with Tim last week is that Yuval's work is like so he's a historian, but he like he he thinks about things like the coming uh thing like AI or self-driving cars and stuff like this, and then writes from the perspective of, like, where is that technology going to lead us as humans and, like, whether those implications would be good or not. And a large portion of his work is surprisingly, like, critical of AI or the things that can happen to us, okay? And I will get to a clip in a second that'll get to it. But Ezra, like, takes, takes the clips of Yuval just stating the things that he think will happen as like, this is what Yuval actually believes. And he does this. So I'm going to play you this clip. There's going to be a bit of an intro. They're going to get to it. And then he's going to play a bunch of clips of Yuval talking about like uh, going under the skin. And I'll get to what Yuval means about that in a second. But you'll notice in the clip that I play you, there'll be these large like sound effects that like, cut each like Yuval thing and that's because Ezra took this video from a conspiracy YouTube video okay so <laughs> Ezra is like going down conspiracy rabbit holes about a gay Jewish man and claiming that he's in control of the World Economic Forum which is then in control of all of us so you tell me what vibes you get from that okay <laughs> oh it reminds me of the well, we'll Did I not just clip. say it reminds me of the uh, protocols? Because, well, yeah. Here it goes. This memo, written in 2020 for Trudeau, didn't yet get into the real globalist agenda for COVID 19. Here's Klaus Schwab's deputy, Yuval Noah Harari, talking about the real value of the lockdowns, the real purpose of COVID 19. Take a look. And COVID is critical because this is what convinces people to accept, to legitimize total biometric surveillance. If we want to stop this epidemic, we need not just to monitor people, we need to monitor what's happening under their skin. What we have seen so far, it's corporations and governments collecting data about where we go, who we meet, what movies we watch. The next phase, is the surveillance going under our skin. We now see mass surveillance systems established even in democratic countries, which previously rejected them. And we also see a change in the nature of surveillance. Previously, surveillance was mainly above the skin. Now it's going under the skin. Governments want to know not just where we go or who we meet, Above all, they want to know what is happening under our skin. What's our body temperature? What's our blood pressure? What, what is our medical condition? Yeah, they don't show Trudeau those parts, or at least they didn't back in 2020. Christian Freeland is the one who knows all the deeper plans. She's literally on the board of the World Economic Forum, not Trudeau. So yeah, like I say, is it a conspiracy theory? No, it is not. But it is. is it a conspiracy? Well, it's... Absolutely, it is. <laughs> Just the ending. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, it is. Like, there's no denying. I mean, 
The funny fact is like, so it's like Christian Freeland's been given the good stuff, which is the Yuval Noah Harari stuff we just listened to. And yet Ezra himself could find it on conspiracy videos publicly available for everyone to see. <laughs> no way Trudeau could get that information himself. He has to get it from the secret. Like none of this makes any fucking sense. Okay. But it's like, obviously, this person is giving some sort of like academic talk, trying to criticize the issues of surveillance. But they're trying to, like, to me, even like listening to just the clips of it without you having to like preference everything, that doesn't sound like someone who's who's agreeing with that concept. Like, the tone and everything sounds like he's very much disagreeing with this issue. Like, he's saying, like, we got to be weary of this because they can put chips under his skin. And then surveillance goes from like our shopping habits to like our body and like how our body gets, gets surveilled, right? And at the very least, they're just like neutral snippets of him just stating this will happen. But that doesn't tell you whether or not he thinks that's good or bad, you know? His tone of voice tells me, but like... Yeah, his tone of voice. That's what that's where I can get this from. And we don't know his actual judgment because of the fact that he's cut it off. Right. Which is like, I know we're doing a show where we have clips and stuff, which is like the problem of taking clips of like academic talks, because if you do that and you short shorten a clip and you take it out of his academic context, it can sound just as crazy as that does. But to me, he doesn't even sound that crazy. Nothing sounds egregious. Like that's a concern that is in academic communities, especially people that study like technology and the societal impacts of it. Right. Like, and, and within a capitalist uh, structure and system, right? Like, do we want that kind of surveillance if things were going to happen? But it's just the lack of context, the lack of academic context to what to where he's raising these concerns. The fact that it's edited and clipped together with this boom yeah. <laughs> in between <laughs> to make it seem more dramatic is just—it's not good. But the problem is, like, even if not the problem for us, but the problem that or the mistake they made is that this person clearly has a tone that shows that they disagree with this. So I don't think, I don't know. I just don't know how you can hear that and think like, yeah, this person's clearly plotting for this to happen. That was their intention. Yeah. He went into more detail, uh, two episodes last, I can't remember what we did or like weeks ago. And like, was very adamant to pointing out that he is a gay secular Jew and doesn't like Jesus. Uh, and like other things so he's like really trying to demonize this person and like that for one has me worried uh why would ezra even care about something like those kind of facts like why would you care why would a jewish person like ezra care about whether or not someone believes in the messiah qualities That's of jesus I... I don't know you tell me caitlin because i was just as curious about it but... <laughs> why would that matter except that he's cultivating a christian audience but yeah, no, that's that's definitely the purpose. But I just was like, oh, Ezra doesn't even care about that. Like, so like that doesn't align anything with his personal values. So it's about the grifting opportunity, like especially during the pandemic with all the Christian pastors that were like uh, refusing to shut down their churches. Like he got a, Ezra by defending them and like covering the churches and even a bunch of people on his staff now are like very evangelical around the Christian right. And he's courting them heavy which is why he's got to lean in on that right but it but the thing is like with, with this person it's like it, it should be so obvious but i think because of all those things and like the like the frame that ezra puts them in they're willing to just go along with it and even last week i don't think i played 
I might have played the setup that Ezra gave to like set up the clips because we played some Evolve maybe last week or two weeks ago. We played some Evolve Noah Harari clips, but like in the episode, Ezra stated that like he can't find some of these talks online. He can only find these like mashups made by the conspiracy theorists, which is why he uses their videos, right? But it's like I just typed in Yuval Noah Harari into Google or uh, into YouTube, and I got tons of speeches by Yuval. Not only just tons, but like he's done speeches at like TED. He's done yeah, Google he events. TED Talk. He he like they're so easy to access. So I I have one clip at least. Uh, where Yuval talks about the exact same thing. So he talks about the development of AI and biomedical stuff. And his when he, whenever he talks about the under my skin thing, which was the thing that Ezra just clipped a whole bunch of times, what Yuval is getting at with the under my skin comment is he's like, everyone is freaking out about AI. And like, there's reasons to be afraid of AI and all that stuff. But he's like, the problem is going to come when the two merge. When all of a sudden AI is interacting with our biomedical uh, surveillance system, that's when like things are going to get really bad. And of course, like Ezra's taking that to then go, oh, he really wants this to happen. But he's actually going, we need to be thinking really careful before this happens, you know. Uh, and so I didn't clip the him saying the thing that we just saw a bunch of clips that Ezra made. But I have the lead in is going to be the person from Google then responds to what Harari is saying and then asks a question and then we'll get like Harari's follow up. So he just talked okay. about the under my skin stuff. Then the Google guy is going to ask him a question. And that is what I'm going to play. Push you there because I think it's uh, it's easy to um, uh, arrive at a dystopian view of what that world would look like with the bio and and and. Uh, uh, AI and cognitive abilities of, of machines uh, when they meet, like what, how, how that could end up, right? And we see, we see that in Hollywood and th that dystopian view is, is, is well documented. But I wanna, I wanna um, explore with you, like what, what are some of the benefits mm. of that combination and how can that lead to an alternative uh, world view than, than what's explored more deeply in Homo Deus? It should be emphasized that there are enormous benefits, otherwise there would be no temptation. If it was only bad, nobody would do it. Google won't research it. Nobody would invest in it. And it should also be emphasized that uh, technology is never deterministic. You can build either paradise or hell with these technologies. Uh, they are not just, they don't have just one, one type of usage. And uh, as a historian, and as a social critic and, and maybe philosopher, I tend to focus more on the dangerous scenarios simply because, for, for obvious reasons, uh, the entrepreneurs and the corporations and the scientists and engineers who are developing these technologies, they naturally tend to focus on the positive scenarios, on all the good it can do. But yes, I, I definitely acknowledge it can do a tremendous amount of good to humanity. So I wanted to clip that just to highlight, like, it's clear with the framing of the question and how Harari answered it, that, like, he does spend his time mainly focusing on the negatives of this stuff. Yeah. And, and, partly, and he raises a really great point, which is that the entrepreneurs and the corporations and the scientists are all going to promote the thing that they're wanting to sell and build, right? Yeah. And, like, 
this this should be clear to everyone now. Like Harari is not out here going. Wouldn't it be great if we merged AI with biotech and the World Economic Forum could then spy on all of us? That is not at all what Harari is saying. And it's it's amazing to me that that Ezra has dedicated weeks, months, to this conspiracy theory about one dude who who gave two talks to the World Economic Forum. That is his whole connection with the World Economic Forum. He spoke twice, once in 2018 and I think again in 2020. And that's it. And somehow he's now the mastermind, deputy, commander, or whatever the fuck with the World Economic Forum and is the leader of like, the the thought leader of telling the World Economic Forum how to control people. The weird thing though is it gets into these like, semi like anti-Semitic tropes. Right? Like, it's not blatantly there. But it's there. And I'm not saying that he is. But I'm just saying that it, like, that's what it falls into. Like, I don't even know if he's, like, conscious that he's doing that. Like, Yeah, I don't know. I don't think he is. Honestly, I don't think Ezra is conscious of it. I think the people who made the conspiracy videos on YouTube are conscious of it. And Ezra has (laughs) tapped into it. And, like, maybe Ezra, like, I can't, I'm not going to speculate on Ezra because, like, you know, he could sue me and all the other shit that he does. But, like, it's plausible that he could be aware of that. But it almost doesn't matter that he is or he isn't. He's still tapping into the fact that these other people are doing it. And it's like, out of all the ways that, like, or, or all the people you could have chosen that give talks at, like, World Economic Forum meetings and that, like, say similar things to Yaval, you chose the one gay Jewish person. Yeah, that's that's exactly. And I mean, like, the thing is, his work is very critical of capitalism and the advancement of AI technology. It's not separate from that. So it's nothing that, I don't know, like, I feel like Ezra would like some points that he actually raises up because I think Ezra has concerns with mass surveillance as well. But then it's also like, he would disagree with what a lot of Ezra says, right? Like where that that surveillance is happening. Like it's not your government watching you trying to control your freedom of speech. It's your govern it's your corporations trying to collect that information to sell you things. And so it's kind of like weird to attack someone that kind of has these views that are somewhat in a line with Ezra's own, but not a hundred percent in the same um, ballpark. Yep. And I literally think it's just to like attack a minority <laughs> and throw them under the bus to make also the left seem crazy and part of this global elitist plan. That's what it feels like to me. Not saying that he's doing that, but like that's what it comes off like. I mean, even if he's not, it's shitty for him to go out of his way to grab these conspiracy videos and not even like listen for one to like bait like come very close to lying to your audience about like whether or not you can find Harari's like full speeches online, which is why you have to use conspiracy clips. And like not hiding that fact, leaving in the sinister music that plays between the clips. And then, and then the, like an easy Google search, you could fucking find millions of speeches that Yaval has given and really yeah, find out what he talk. thinks. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just, it's fascinating to me how like, thin this part of like his conspiracy framing is it's not conspiracy theory not conspiracy theory sorry conspiracy, conspiracy. Fact. Yeah, sorry <laughs> get it right and so that's all we have to say about that 
very concerning development on that front. But uh, we now get to the final interview, which uh, sadly, I, I mean, we don't have to talk much about w what happens anyways. I mean, we could just talk about uh, how fucked up everything is in America right now. Uh, but yes, Friday, the Friday episode, Roe v. Wade happened, uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, I should say. And so Ezra's guest is someone named Anne McAlevey who is the wife of Flem McAlevey. I can't remember his name, but he's got a weird name. And uh, they basically produce movies and quote-unquote documentaries that are like having to do with Biden conspiracy shit or whatever. And I guess they came on to promote the creation of one of their Biden films, but because the announcement happened the day that they were coming on for the interview, of course they had to focus on the fact that I guess Anne produced a either a film or then a podcast or both that had to do with this one case uh, in Pennsylvania having to do with someone named Kermit Gosnell. And Kermit Gosnell is somebody who was, is a serial killer. He was convicted of murdering at least seven babies, including manslaughter of one woman at an abortion clinic in Pennsylvania. Now, on the face of it, like, I think somebody, like, some people might think, is this, was this person really guilty? Like, all this stuff. And, like, here's the thing is, he was really guilty. A lot of the things he did was quite fucked up, and we can get into that in a second. But the issue that, like, bugs me about them bringing this up is because, of course, they want to frame it as if, like, this one case is indicative of all abortion, and therefore we need to like deal with this uh, or get rid of all abortion to protect ourselves from this like very rare incidents where someone was doing something bad. And then they also want to frame it as like how bad the left is because they didn't report or cover this case as much as they could report on other things because they hold Roe v. Wade uh, and abortion rights so much more sacred than the lives of the people that Gosnell was harming or something like this, which if you were to do like some sort of like weird moral calculus like this, I mean, the one or two victims by Gosnell, like direct adult victims, uh, pales in comparison with the amount of women that would be harmed while Roe v. Wade is overturned. You know, I mean, not to say like I would love a world in which like we get people like Kermit to go fuck themselves and we have abortion rights, but like you know, uh, I'll prioritize your efforts. Right. If there was concern concern over like the lack of reporting, I can somewhat understand if people didn't want to cover it for fear that it would have harmed abortion in any way. I do get that impulse, even though like, yeah, cover. I mean, I don't find it a contradiction. I can talk about how shitty Gosnell is while also saying abortion is great. And like I had a clip. We don't we don't really need to play it because it's basically she just says what I said now, trying to blame it on the left. And uh, I guess I could tell, I mean, part of me like almost didn't want to get into it because like it even felt like as a part of their show as well, that it was like, it's like besides the point, you know what I mean? It's like you come up with one example where there was this one terrible person who did some terrible things and he did terrible things for like ever. And I will, I guess I, I will say the one thing to cover about this is a lot of it had more to do with the uh, racism of the Pennsylvania government for uh, 
Gosnell worked in a clinic that primarily focused on women of color. And part of the racism is his clinic did not get as much oversight because they didn't care to oversee it because that just was where the women of color went. And we don't need to invest resources into that, which is what allowed him to get away with so many of his crimes for a while. Like one of his crimes was he uh, was char he convicted of manslaughter because he gave one of his patients like an overdose of like pain medication during their abortion procedure and then left them to die on the on the table. And now so like the one person that directly died from what he did. The other was and this this also has to do with the racism in the rest of the United States. But like. The abortions that happened that he was then found guilty of murdering was because Pennsylvania has a law against late term abortions. And the women were coming to him for late-term abortions because of the lack of access in the other states where they needed the abortion. And it took them a while to get to where he was at. And because he was running a shady practice, he was the, one of the few people willing to give these people a late-term abortion, which obviously should have been done earlier on. Uh, yeah. And it, it's like that, Like to me, it's like this case is an indictment of the fact of like you should have safer better access to abortions in America and you should like be not racist <laughs> you know like and yet they frame this whole situation in terms of like this is what abortion leads to or something where it's like this is the only place where an incident like this like happened at least as bad as it happened here with the yeah. amount of neglect and improper care that was happening at this clinic but yeah, so that's that's how they decide to cover Roe v. Wade. And I guess uh, I will now turn it to you, Caitlin, and be like, uh, as, as some woman on this show, <laughs> I was going to say, as a person with a uterus for for most of us on the show, do not have uh, uteruses. Uteri is the plural of uterus, uteri or uteruses. I have no idea. <laughs> I've never had to use the plural of uteruses. <laughs> I guess what are your thoughts, Caitlin? It's fucked. Like I don't know what to say about that. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, it, like it. It's also like super personal, right? So it's like I don't want to get into that kind of detail about like how it, how I personally oh. feel about it. <laughs> well, you don't have to get into any like personal details. Just but like... it is the issue of it is like for me like deeply personal. I think for like a lot of uterus havers um it is a, a personal thing so and it is a very upsetting thing and i think it's just also the framing of like how we see women is also extremely upsetting and how much turn that's happened in the last several years and, and you know what like in back in 2016 was like my first exposure to the uh, men's right activist movement <laughs> <laughs> And I saw that the little documentary was the red the pill. Red pill? Or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh god, so horrendous, awful, just an awful documentary in my opinion, and was very infuriating and very upsetting. And like I knew something was going to happen. Like when I saw that documentary, I was like, people actually think this way. Like, people actually believe that this is the case. Like, how could you sit there? And the thing is, like, at that time, I wasn't, like, as deeply embedded in some of my political views as I am today. So it was almost, like, for me, a push to be a little more 
radical <laughs> to be yeah. a little more progressive because it was like kind of shocking to hear that people thought about people like that. And then I even went on the Reddit group, the red pill and read some of the comments. And I was like my first exposure of like hearing people talk about women in such a degrading manner. I mean, like I, I get a lot of like the microaggressions of it throughout life and like the, they're not blatant, <laughs> yeah. but, and like, I kind of just like roll my eyes and put up with that kind of stuff that like, the level of dehumanization and objectification, right? Like I thought it was more of like a subconscious process that people had. Like it wasn't something so blatant, like to see women and even, even like other groups, right. As just like, not, not as like fully formed humans, basically. Like that was the way it came off. Like I was just not a person in those people's eyes. And that was to me like just shocking, like shocking to read that. Cause it's like, that's like 50% of the world's population you think is just like, like less than you. Like, I just can't, like, it's not even a small group. Like it's 50% of the world's population. Like, that's just, how could you like sit there and rationalize that? So I don't know. Like, I think it's like, like I knew this was going to come. So I'm just kind of like, yep. And, like, there's an aspect, too, where I'm privileged, like, I'm in Canada, it doesn't really affect me as much. Of course, that rhetoric is here in Canada, and there is some, like, threats already being brought forward by conservative politicians. And, like, we do have to be careful, because even in, like, the Ontario government, we have, like, MPPs who are quite active with their pro-life views. I mean, we have some laws in place that codify abortion rights, like, the fact that we have a right to bodily autonomy rather than the right to a medical procedure, which to me is like a silly, a silly thing yeah. to like have laws over. Like I don't have like, you don't have laws or Heart surgery laws? regulations. Yeah. <laughs> or like dental surgery or, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it's just almost silly that it was written into, written to, into us legislation like that. And that's probably why it got so easily overturned. Um, and I have seen like people on the left in Canada be like, we need more laws in Canada to codify it like they codify it in the States. And I have to keep telling you, uh, for anyone who's listening who thinks that too, none of the abortions rights organizations in Canada want more laws. We have it where you have a right to bodily autonomy and abortion yeah. is considered a medical procedure, which is left over the provincial like medical bodies to basically decide what to do with it. Now that has its own complications and there's complications that have to do with access because of that. But there's other ways to deal with that problem than to, say, pass a law. Because once you start kicking that potato down the road, you're going to get to what's happening in America right now. But then there also gets into the question of, like, you'd have to debate if women have rights to, like, bodily autonomy and to make those decisions, which I just don't think should even be a discussion at this point in time of our history. But unfortunately, it is yeah. in some places and contexts. I don't know. It's a sad thing. And, like... I don't know what to say more about that than that. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> it, like, I, I, like, I feel really bad for, for a lot of people in the States that are not going to have access and have to, you know, go through a lot of loopholes and, or just be forced to have like a kid. <laughs> and I don't think it's, I don't know. I just think it's really backwards and 
weird and I just I just have a hard time like sitting there being like people actually think this way about women and their bodies and not just women also other queer individuals right that or or trans women too or trans men so I mean this compared to because we talked about it when the the leak happened and the draft opinion which is not identical to what was the final decision but the initial draft opinion was basically just getting rid of privacy law any any right to privacy whatsoever which would take away obergefell which is the gay marriage it would take away loving v virginia which is interracial marriage it would take away from uh can't remember the excuse me, can't remember exactly the case name, but the one that would get rid of uh, birth control or any contraception use, like, it would get rid of all of these. And the the thing is, is, like, Thomas still mentioned in his things that, like, the the things that we... Except, of course, Thomas did not mention Loving v. Virginia because that would do away with his own interracial marriage. But, of course, he mentioned Obergefell and also uh, the case having to do with contraception as things that they will now have to re-look at, even though they didn't, as as the draft did, they didn't outright say they were going to abolish all of the right to privacy under the 14th Amendment. Uh, but it's pretty, uh, pretty fucked up. No, I, it's just like the rhetoric that you, or the, I, the ideology that you would have to have in your minds not even just an individual in power, but like a collective whole, that they would have to literally think that there's people that walk, talk, breathe, do all the same, almost, you know, you almost nearly identical functions as you do as a human, right? And then sit there and just be like, yep, they're not. Like, that's the conclusion you'd have to draw in your head to think that like these things are not acceptable. Like I just deserve more than these subhumans because that's that's what you have to think well like and people like ezra who sit here like complaining about the nanny state and like the the nanny state telling you what to do and yet abolish what is abolishing the right to privacy the the right to privacy is that you have the right to decide what you do with your own body and your own self that is your private right to to your autonomy and so like you can marry whoever you want you right like you have that right and then they're going, no, we have a right to tell you who you can and can't marry, what you can or cannot do in terms of reproduction. We're going to tell you what to do. And, and it's coming from the people who gaslight you and tell you that the nanny state is bad, but then like force you, force you to behave the way that they want you to behave. This is even like my joke at the beginning of the show, which I was like, oh, where's the freedom convoy when yeah. <laughs> this like last past week, right? Like not doing nothing, right? They didn't go all the way to DC, but they're the ones who are crying about bodily autonomy. Are the amount of times I've heard or seen like people on social media cry about like, you know, we shouldn't have uh, medical records being shared with our employer. Like that was one of the biggest excuses However, it's like a lot of these, even like the small business owners, because I know some that went down there that own small businesses, even in London, right? That are like super transphobic. Yep. Super misogynist. I mean, well, even with the vaccine thing was always silly because like they talk, they, they co-opted the pro-choice language by saying my body, my choice throughout the whole thing. But it's like, yeah, but like your pregnancy is not contagious. Like it's a different thing. Like the reason why... 
I mean, it's the same reason why you're not allowed to spit in someone's face. It's like if you are spreading disease, that is a bad thing, which is why it's okay to mandate something like vaccinations, but it really shouldn't be okay to mandate whether or not someone takes birth control, whether or not someone gets an abortion, whether or not someone chooses to marry someone of the same sex, whether or not someone decides to get hormone therapy. Like none, none of this should like matter because like it directly doesn't affect other people. Whereas you deciding not to get vaccinated does affect other people. It harms them. Yeah. But they played this game and like it's it's yeah. I'm just uh repeating myself at this point. <laughs> but uh but the funny thing is you said that joke earlier. I did not read it as a joke. And you know why? Because there was people that drove all across America to go to Washington, D.C. to celebrate this decision. And I thought you were being serious. So, uh, I, see, I didn't know that. Yeah, America's fucked up. <laughs> uh, very fucked up. And uh, yeah, I, I say that without trying to be like, you know, oh, us in Canada. I say it in full sympathy. I, I feel bad that it's fucked up. I wish that it wasn't. And uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know what the hell I can do other than if like a bunch of you want to like flee to Canada, like I, I'd take you. Come come live. <laughs> I will, the least I can promise you is bodily autonomy where I am. <laughs> uh, I, I can't promise it with some of the other assholes that live in our country as well because... We're a lot more similar culturally than we like to imagine that we are. So. Yeah, absolutely. So usually Vienno gives a piece of media or content for people to read or look at or whatnot at the end of the show. And I reached out to you, Caitlin, to see if you would provide something. Did you do it? Did you follow through? So I was reading more on the the Great Reset. And there is an article if people want to learn a little more about the conspiracy theories. Yeah, so it's like the Great Reset and how it's been hijacked by conspiracy theorists. And it's on BBC News, which isn't like the greatest like <laughs> news source or anything like that, in my opinion. But um. But it, it really does, this article, give a detail of, like, what it the Great Reset is and how the Great Reset has become kind of, like, this buzzword among conspiracy theorists to talk about global elitists um, using COVID to kind of reset the economy and have global control and usher in this, like, crony socialist capitalism that Ezra's kind of hinted at. And so it kind of just gives a timeline of... Um, the, the great world economic forum and their meeting and what the great reset actually is, but then how it's kind of twisted over, over the couple of years during COVID. So I thought it's very informative. It's not like a super entertaining read. It can be a little dry, but it gives you a good timeline of everything. Sweet. And uh, on that note, thank you so much for uh, guest hosting, filling in for Vienna while they, Travel the land of Finland. Yeah, they're just a globetrotter right now. <laughs> Love their life. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, uh, I appreciated you uh, coming on.
it's it's always nice to have you around and uh you know we've we're we're now in a new era of the show but it's it's fun to fun to have you back see <laughs> i guess maybe i'll i'll ask you this question has that from this brief little moment that you've experienced is anything much different from ezra since the, <laughs> from what you remember no. before no no it's the same same stuff over and over again recycled and but into different like world events yep if you support and enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on Patreon.com slash Imperial News. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at Imperial News of the Z. We have a Discord set up, and we have uh, put on a break for some Twitch streams. I don't know when I'll start it back up again, but when I do, I'll let you know. Uh, you can find other videos over on our YouTube channel, and you can find all the links in our show notes of this episode. Lastly, you can email us any questions at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at masontickle.com. And thank you for listening. And the Supreme Court of the United States of America, you canceled. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.